Hey there everyone, welcome about to the One Touch Talks. This is your host Umayuresh Matkar and in this week's podcast we will be reviewing the weekend. We will be taking a look at what happened in the Serie A. We'll also talk about Chelsea Football Club. We'll talk about Didier Deschamps, Noel Legrand and Zinedine Zidane and everything which is happening in the French national team. We will be taking a look at what's happened with the Portugal national team as they've appointed Roberto Martinez as the successor to Fernando Santos. But we'll start in Spain, in La Liga, where we had a massive game between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid at the Civitas Metropolitano. So it ended 1-0 between Atletico Madrid and Barcelona at the Civitas Metropolitano. Barcelona taking all three points on the road against Atletico Madrid. It is a tremendous result for Xavi's Barcelona. That gets them a... Very decent advantage over Real Madrid going into their next fixtures in La Liga. They do have the Spanish Super Cup to come, but uh, I think this is a very, very nice you know, start to the new year from Barcelona after their you know, rather dodgy game, or would I say the rather a very enjoyable game against Espanyol in uh, the, Cat- no, the Catalan derby, you know, majorly directed by uh, Sir Mateo Lajoz. Uh, but yeah, you know, this game was... Uh, in a way, very contradictory to what both Barcelona and Atletico Madrid play. I mean, if you look at the entire philosophical thing here, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid are completely two ends of the spectrum. Barcelona play attractive football, where, as you know, Atletico Madrid are known for the bunker ball approach, for the dirty game and everything which really associates with not playing the best football that you've ever seen. And... This game, particularly after Usman Dembélé scored the goal, it was Barcelona reverting to Atletico Madrid and Atletico Madrid getting the um, impetus, getting the initiative to go out there and give their heart out, which they already do, but in a different way. Um, but yeah, you know, if you look at the game, it was uh, a rather enjoyable game. I I have heard people they didn't enjoy that game uh, pretty much because uh, you know didn't have that edge to it. I thought it had an edge to it in the latter stages with uh, with uh, Stefan Savage and uh, Ferran Torres getting into a WWE uh, fight. I mean, it was uh, it was really amazing to see that. Uh, but yeah, both got yellow cards. Well, I'm sorry, uh, red cards rather. And both were and and both were out. I mean, Ferran Torres is another guy who's going to be out for the next two games or at least one game. Um, but yeah, if you look at this uh, entire an entire game, I, th- I thought it was a very decent game, in all honesty. I thought, you know, this would be the best game of uh, the entire weekend. It was not the case. You know, it was nowhere close to being the best game of the weekend. But um, if you look at it, it was uh, rather enjoyable. And uh, it had a little bit of excitement in it because, you know, first of all, you know, let's talk about Barcelona. They started the game very well and, uh, you know, they had a massive loss because uh, Robert Lewandowski, who was initially cleared to play the Espanyol game, was then, you know, the verdict came out and then he had to sit out. He has to sit out more two games in La Liga. So uh, um, I don't remember who they're, who they're going to face, but this game is a very crucial one away at Atletico Madrid. It's, it's not an easy place to come. It's a very hard environment. You know, it's kind of the world is against us you know it's kind of that thing and uh, when Barcelona come in and uh, it was a very good start in the first of all the lineup they played Ansu Fati and um, Gavi and Dembele I mean that's what the team sheet said and 
in the midfield it was Sergio Busquets who came in, Frankie de Jong, Sergio Busquets and Pedri and it kind of constantly outnumbering Atletico Madrid where they had Pablo Barrios and Coque they didn't have much help there with the 4-4-2 formation, you know Carrasco's always wide and Llorente is always looking for those runs in behind who's I mean the only player that can offer runs in behind from Atletico Madrid so I thought you know the blueprint was really uh, th- th- was really set up one hour before the game and I thought Diego Simeone just couldn't read it into it because uh, that square midfield of Barcelona where Gavi and Pedri were playing off Ansu Fati sometimes and sometimes Ansu Fati used to drift out on the left side that square with Ansu Fati, with uh, Gavi and Pedri being the more uh, advanced ones and Busquets and Dion who are very good on the ball as we know and they were the deep-line playmakers and they controlled the game completely. And for the first 20 minutes, they Atletico Madrid were constantly getting outplayed. And that's where I thought, you know, they're, they're missing a trick. They should have played somebody else in that, you know, front two position. I mean, I know, you know, Diego Semyon has, has this weird obsession of playing Antoine Griezmann in that front two alongside Jean Felix since last season in a big game. I mean, he did that against Manchester United. He did that against... Uh, um, against Man City as well and um, he, to a certain extent I think he did that against uh, against Real Madrid as well in the season I don't, I don't remember what the what the lineup was but yeah he, he's got that weird obsession because I don't think that that front two gives you a lot because there's no focal point in that front two you, you're playing sort of two number tens or two false nines together and I think that doesn't offer a team like Atletico Madrid who likes to sit back and I know, you know, Felix will give you a lot of work rate without the ball and so will Antoine Griezmann. They're known for it but you have to get, you have to be a bit proactive. I mean, you have to drop one between Felix and uh, Antoine Griezmann in a game like this and given the fact that Alvaro Morata was coming in good form and so was Jean Felix, I thought that would be the very obvious choice and it didn't, you know, in a way. So, um, yes, you know, I thought they missed the trick there but as I said, with the first five or six minutes, it was very evident that Barcelona were trying to outpass their midfield. Um, they get a goal, and again, the uh, the decision for that goal, I think, if you're Atletico Madrid, I think for the first half, I thought Atletico Madrid had a lot of... Uh, a lot of calls going against them and that made the stadium go a little bit wild. They were whistling at every single touch from Barcelona player, you know... I thought, you know, two or three occasions they could have had a free kick closer to the box. You know, one of one of them where I remember it was Carrasco was you know, brought down by uh, by Araujo in a very uncanny fashion, and the ref didn't even blow his whistle. I thought, I thought even for that goal, it it could have been disallowed. I thought, after, I thought it was a legitimate elbow in the face of Reynaldo, who didn't have a good game by his standards, but. That that was that was an that was an elbow in the face and he fell down. I thought that created the opportunity for Dembele to be in that space where he was, with time uh, on his mind, and he put that past Oblak and uh, it was one. And then after that, you know, Atletico had kind of this realization that you know what well, we have to get in there and we'll have to do better than this, and we can get a goal or two. And they came close. You know, the Griezmann one. You know, in the first half, they had a, one or two chances with Molina as well. Uh, Llorente had a chance uh, in the second half as well. You look at Tom Alemara with a wonderful chance that, you know, he could, should have scored, could have scored with just put the ball wide. And 
then again, you talk about Molina again with that one chance where he should have passed it around to someone like a Felix or Griezmann. He tried to take that shot on his own. Then came some changes. Correa came on, you know, tried to make it a bit of a rumble in there, uh, didn't he? Uh, Cholo Simeone. And they, they nearly got over the line. Uh, I mean, they nearly got a goal back to actually, actually equalise. I thought they were good enough to win the game. Um, but yeah, in the end, I thought, you know, they were a bit short on the night. They were a bit, you know, restricted in uh, in, in, in some sense, I would say that. And um, it was not a good result. Uh, I think they need to bounce back. They do not have the uh, Super Cup, so they will have a rest uh, in, at the weekend and we'll see what happens. But you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big blow in, uh, in all honesty. You know, it's a massive blow. They're 14 points off Barcelona. That's... That's huge. That that really is, and they're not going to be in the title race. Let's be honest. And with uh, with with all the uh, situation gathering around the top four race in uh, in La Liga, it is going to be much tougher for them to actually keep up with the race in uh, in for the Champions League next season. So it, it is going to be very very tricky. I, I do believe they will get Champions League football. It's it's a, it's a long shot for me now that they won't get Champions League football. Although. They're level on points with Villarreal on fifth. They are a point behind, the point ahead of Athletic Club de Bilbao, who is seventh in the league, uh, and they are point behind. They are point. They are point ahead of Athletic Bilbao. They are point behind Real Betis. They are. They're five points behind Real Sociedad, who are third, who are having a tremendous season. Let's be honest. They 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 are having an absolutely brilliant season under Imanol. Alguacil, I don't, uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's he's an amazing manager. He's done very well this season. They got first place in the uh, in the Europa League, uh, where they had Manchester United there, and now they're having a tremendous season. The six points of Barcelona, Real Sociedad, and uh, uh, well, we have, we'll get a time to talk about Sociedad. They've been very good, by the way. Uh, let's. Uh, I just had to point that out. But you know, it, it, it's it's very difficult now to put up an argument that Atletico Madrid will not get into top four, although they have to be better than uh, Real Betis, they have to be better than Athletic Club de Bilbao and Real Sociedad as well. Um, I think these are some teams that can really put up a fight. I mean, you have to bear in mind that there is no Sevilla in this top four race. It is going to be tough. It is going to to be really tough. I think Bilbao will fade away. I, I, I do not have much faith in them. Villarreal, I think it's... Very, very early. I will we'll talk about Villarreal. But apart from Villarreal, you've got Real Betis. You've got, you know, uh, Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad is a, a, a team who are playing with some really nice, you know, flair with them. Again, it's, 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 very, it's, it's very strange, you know, to talk about Real Sociedad in this way because they do have Europa League football and that could be a bit of a distraction in some ways. But... They're, they're having a fantastic season. Likes of Zubi Mendy, likes of David Silva. They, they still don't have the services of Mikel Orzabal. That's, that's amazing. You know, Mikel Morino, all these other guys have been amazing to watch. You know, the last uh, last win against uh, away at Almeria, the, uh, Alexander Solov scored again. I mean, he, he's, he's having another good season. Uh, he's someone who I have always felt that, you know, he's someone who... He he's always someone who's restricted amongst himself, but somehow he's 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 finding ways to score goals. He's he's had a good season so far. He's got six goals and an assist in 
in La Liga. So it's 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 going to be very difficult again, not just with uh, Real Sociedad, but also with some a, a team like uh, Real Betis who who were fourth in the table. They they were away at Vallecas uh, at the weekend. They managed to get a victory. Uh, uh, in the, in the first half itself, it was two one. Uh, you know, even Bailiu uh, scoring an own goal for Rayo Vallecano, Sergio Cameo then equalising for them, and then Luis Enrique, who uh, not Luis Enrique, but Luis Enrique, it's it's an edge in front of him. But so yeah, he him scoring as well. So it's 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 going to be very fascinating. You know, Villarreal winning against Real Madrid, so it will get them a bit of a uh, you know kickstart to their campaign they also have you know athletic club de bilbao i guess uh, drew against osasuna at home at the san mames so i, I don't know I, th- I think still atletico madrid have to get through in this uh, in this in this top four race they can't afford to have uh, europa league football next season by the way talking about atletico madrid um, they do have uh, a transfer rumor coming out of there and uh, it's joan felix who we'll talk about but um, moving on to Barcelona, I think Barcelona are very good in this game. I think they were efficient. Uh, I heard the uh, post-match presser of uh, Andres Christensen and he said, you know what, well, I do not prefer games to end like this where I have to work my backside off, where I'll have to defend a lot, which he had to, in all honesty. And he he, he did very well. Defensively, he was very good. Um, he's a good ball playing centre back and I think that's what you know ultimately Xavi needs in his team I don't particularly think that's the right thing but yeah I think if Xavi needs someone like with that profile I think it's good and I think he did well in that game Um, if you look at the entire Barcelona team structure or even you know their stats and statistically they're the best defensive team in Europe in the top five leagues not talking about Europe but in the league they are certainly proving that and to me, it is a bit of a mystery because, you know, they're not good defensively. You look at the game against Espanyol, you look at the game today against uh, Athletic Bilbao, they're not good defensively, that's that's one, but they don't concede many goals. Part of it, it's, it's because of uh, Ter Stegen and, you know, sometimes they get lucky. But I do not think they're a good team defensively. They have to be good. Um, they have the Super Cup, they have the, have the game against Betis, I guess, you know. I don't know, it's Betis or Bilbao, somewhat like that, you know, they're going to face them. So, And it's going to be very, very interesting to see how things pan up for um, uh, for, for our beloved uh, Barcelona. You'll have to see what things are in store for them. They have got the, cha- the, the Europa League game against uh, Manchester United. Obviously, the, the, the league is the big thing and uh, we'll talk about the league standings and with Real Madrid as well. Uh, but yeah, for now, I think... Um, Xavi's, uh, Xavi's done well this season, at least in the league. I mean, Europe, they have been a mere disappointment, not just this season, but even last season. So we'll see what happens. They're, they're not going to invest in January, so that, that's, been, that, that's been completely uh, ruled out. Uh, maybe they'll have to let go of uh, Memphis Depay, who's, who, who's on the transfer market, and we'll see what happens with Barcelona. I think this is a very good victory. It's a massive victory for Barcelona, and... This this has to give a lot of uh, a massive push to them because they're ahead in the league of uh, Dan Real Madrid. So we'll talk about Real Madrid next. But for now, I think Barcelona have been pretty good. They, they, they did what they had to do, and um, they move forward. 
So another massive game in La Liga saw Real Madrid travelling away to the newly constructed Estadio de la Ceramica, the home of Villarreal, where they lost by two goals to one. A very concerning performance, if you ask me, as a Real Madrid fan. From the bottom of my heart, I didn't like the performance. I thought it, there were very big, glaring questions, you know, as opposed to what they were in at the start of the season. I thought you know, they needed some reinforcements in the, in the in the front areas where they were all out for killing Mbappe. But for some of the other reasons, they didn't invest after he said no and he was uh, hitched up with uh, Paddy Saint-Germain. But they never really got in contact with any other forward. I thought, you know, they could have taken someone like a Dybala who was available on, on, a, on a free transfer, was was ready to lower his wages if that was ever going to be a problem. But they didn't take him. And now, you know, th- there's a serious drop-off. And I think, you know, with the way that they've been playing, they need some options, especially in the front areas. I thought, I thought the performance level was con- concerning. And, you know, as, as a Madrid fan, I'm seeing the same team every single time and so you know you have got teams like Villarreal who are very very uh, you know what do you say you know they're very intelligent in terms of what they need to do at a certain level and in in terms of when they play at the Estadio de la Ceramica in front of their own fans they are very very good there's it's a vibrant stadium the fans create a sort of a turmoil in the in the opposition camp or something like that. You can ask Bayern Munich if you think I'm wrong about it. To a certain extent, even Juventus last season, and also Liverpool in the first half of the Champions League last season. So it's it's a difficult place to come up and play. And in all honesty, I thought you know Real Madrid completely were out of shape, out of order. I don't know what they needed to do, what their plan was uh, to start with, and you know. I, th- I think that, that there's certain need of uh, there's certainly need of players coming into that position, and I thought it's it's it was a historical moment for Real Madrid because in the first time in their entire history they didn't have a Spanish player starting the game, and that was um, yeah it was historical because uh, they didn't play Carvajal. I thought Lucas Vasquez could have played, but uh, Carlo Ancelotti then alluded to the fact that he played the entire game against I don't know what. They were playing in the Copa del Rey. I didn't watch that game, but they did win. Uh, so he didn't play, um, uh, what is his name? Lucas Vasquez, yes. Uh, uh, but you look at the, the options that they have got in the in the attacking half of the field. You've got you, you've got Benzema, you've got Vinicius, you've got Valverde, if you don't want to play in the midfield. I mean, he's a certain starter now, so he's there. And after that, you know, you've got Rodrigo. And then there's a certain drop-off with Asensio. And then you've got two hopeless guys right now in Mariano Diaz and Aiden Hazard. I don't know how much confidence a team like this has got to, because with, with, with these options. Because, say for example, something happens to Kroos and Modric, who, which is a real possibility because of their age and the amount of fixtures that are coming thick and fast. Because now, with the Super Cup coming in, they have to play every three days. And that's ridiculous. So they've got, in the midfield, they've got Camavinga, who's not a trusted starter, but he's definitely a trusted sub option. You've got Ceballos, you've got Kroos, you've got Modric, Chouameni and Valverde. If he's not playing it's a front, in, in, in the front areas, if you take Valverde out of that front three, you've got to play with Rodrigo and then you have got no substitutes to come on. As, apart from a certain Asensio. So I think there needs to be an investment. Carlo Ancelotti has alluded to the fact that they were not going to make any investments, which I think is... It is it's baffling. I don't know what they're going to do in the summer because 
Mbappe is clearly, clearly going to be, you know, like, uh, you know, that that guy, who's that, you know, um, uh, El Khalifi, I, I don't remember his name, the PSG president, you know, Nasser El Khalifi, yes, you know, uh, he's going to be like, I want, what, 250 million for Mbappe, if you've given me that money, he's all yours, you know, you know Madrid are not going to pay, pay, that, pay uh, PSG that sort of money, so... It's going to be very difficult now for uh, for Madrid to get through the season. I, I do think there will be injuries for them because Benzema, Modric, and Kroos. It's it's by the law of average. It's it's very difficult to continue with that same intensity and the required intensity to keep up with every single fixture until now at the end of the season. I think they can still cope up in the league. It's going to be difficult against Liverpool, and if they get through against Liverpool, which I think can be a very good possibility. It's going to be difficult to, you know, withstand that sort of pressure, withstand that sort of commitment. I mean, that would be a, a, the commitment won't be an issue. That that you can take uh, in writing from me. That that won't be an issue. But to be that, you know, fit or match fit for every single game to sustain that amount of amount of games, that's not going to be easy because your veterans are your big strength in terms of Real Madrid. So it's going to be tick. It's going to be tricky. If you talk about this game, it was concerning. It was bad. It, it really was, you know, in the first few minutes, you know, Villarreal had loads of chances. I thought Pau Torres and Raul Albiol had a marvellous game. You know, they were very, very good. Jeremy Pino was outstanding. So was Gerard Moreno, who scored that penalty in the end. Um, I thought, again, you know, it was it, it was a concerning game. Samuel Chiquese was very good. I don't know for what reason Kroos and Modric were trying to press. I, I, I cannot understand. And if you're playing... Eder Militao uh, as as a right back. Why is the need of you to uh, of of playing Fede Valverde on the right wing? Because I thought the only fundamental thing that helped Fede Valverde play as a right winger was then he could play as uh, he could come back and make it a back five. I don't know if you have got uh, Eder Militao who can play at right back. Yes. Why do you need? Fede Valverde to track back. I think you can go up with a very good option to play as your as your right wing and put Fede Valverde. Uh, in your midfield three, who can press uh, uh, from from the central areas? I, I don't. I don't think that's that that decision made any sense. Um, well, Carvajal. I, I think they need to look forward from Carvajal. I think I thought Pedro Porro could have been a very good option for them, but that's not really the uh, desirable option. If if you understand what I'm trying to say, because he is now going, he's more likely to join. Tottenham Hotspur for now, and uh, it, it it looks very very bizarre for me. It's it's difficult to actually make sense of ev- anything that's happening right now at, uh, at at Real Madrid. They did need some investments. Florentino Perez has said there are not going to be many investments. I, I thought they did well to get into. I mean, they did well to get in Rudiger, but I think they need some good players around. Uh, but enough about Real Madrid. We need to talk about Villarreal as well. Um, this is a team which was, you know, very, very good under Unai Emery. And I think Unai Emery suited this team more than he suits, you know, say, for example, an Arsenal or a Paris Saint-Germain. You know, these are the sort of teams that Unai Emery is, you know, very, you know, very suited to excel with. You know, Sevilla, Villarreal is almost, you know, the culture that he loves operating with and he's got success with. So, you know... He was good with Villarreal, and now they've got you know a certain amount of uh, a, a good manager in Kike Setien. He's he's been given the trust, 
and he's trying to deliver it. He's done well in the last two games, so that's good. For, he's got a good set of philosophy. I think they will take time to adjust to that philosophy necessarily. It's not very different to that to what you know Unai Emery was trying to propagate in. But I think it's uh, it says a lot about Kike Setiani. He wants to take this challenge. I think it's a very nice thing for him to actually come up here and. Um, do what he can do best with, uh, with with this bunch of players. They have got the Conference League as well, so you know, they've got to be uh, good in the European adventures. But I think they are in prime spot to get into the top four, where they're level on points with Atletico Madrid. They have an uphill battle to actually take over from Real Sociedad and uh, Real Betis, who are teams which possess a similar amount of um, power to that of... Uh, um, so I think it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens. Uh, I don't see them going into the title race, that's for sure. But yes, it will be very, very in, in a fascinating to see how this thing unfolds. Uh, uh, Baena, who played in that midfield, was very good. I thought Dani Parejo had a fabulous game. Um, I thought Pau Torres and Raul Albi... I, I'm really shell-shocked as to how Pau Torres is still playing at Villarreal and how nobody... I, I think he's a... He's, he's a tailor-made player to play for Man City. I, I do think so. I think he's someone who can excel very much at a team like Barcelona or, or Real Madrid. Or not, not Real Madrid in particular, but a team like Barcelona can really enjoy someone like a Pau Torres, a team like Man City. You know, he's, he's tailor-made for those teams. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think you know, he's going to get the move in January, but maybe in the summer he might move to a bigger club. I mean, he thinks Villarreal is a fabulous club and he loves the club to bits and that's the reason why he stayed at Villarreal last season where he wanted to play in the Champions League with them. So it's an, he's an amazing player. We'll see what happens with him. I thought Samuel Chukwese played really well. So did uh, Jeremy Pino. Someone like Jeremy Pino would be such a good appointment for uh, a club like Real Madrid. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, that's it from La Liga today and uh, uh, we'll hope to catch up after the Super League finals are done. Until then, you know, it's it, it was a very good weekend of football in La Liga. So moving on from La Liga, we need to talk about Chelsea. And it is the gift that keeps on giving. It is not a good look for Chelsea. Let's be honest about it. Todd Bowley, in his first season as uh, the president of Chelsea in some ways, or the owner of Chelsea, he's not had a good start. And uh, it's been the same with Graham Potter as well. Do I think the jump from Brighton to Chelsea is a bit massive? And yes, I do think. But there is a certain amount of element that says to me that he needed to expect this. He needed to expect this pressure. And in some ways, I do feel sorry about Graham Potter, uh, for Graham Potter, not about Graham Potter, but for Graham Potter, because um, he inherited a squad which certainly was uh, made up or was designed for Thomas Tuchel. It is his mess that he's trying to clean up. And in doing so, he's creating a bit of a ruckus there, which was a lot more than when he arrived. And in, in some ways, he's making the situation worse. And I feel sorry for him because he didn't have the transfer window. He didn't have the place that he wanted. In some ways, he's having to restart all this, the entire project. And with the history that we've known from, of Chelsea majorly because of Roman Abramovich, they don't give much time to managers. If you don't get the results, you're out of the door. You're being kicked out. And that's how it has to be. And But 
the thing is now for, for for top bowlers, how much is the saturation level? Because now it has to be over. It, it has to be much more than um, that that Roman Abramovich. But in way, in some ways, you have to think that they'll have to make a decision of a Grand Potter. I, in in all in all honesty, I feel really sorry about him. If you look at the game in the FA Cup, they were away to Man City. It was a terrible display. That some of the decisions were just baffling. How do you how in the how the bloody hell do you not pick Karnic Chukomeka in this in this game? Because he was probably your best player going forward in the entire game against Man City at Stamford Bridge. Um, Connor Gallagher was made to play as right wing back. I, I don't know how, how to put this, but that was a bad display. And if you look at the situation with Man City here, they didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, they didn't have Cancelo, who for me is not a guaranteed starter now. They didn't have John Stones, not Erling Haaland as well, and they still managed to pommel Chelsea up. It's not a good look. It really isn't. I mean, even, you know, I, I do think, you know, Edison was playing. I, I, even Ruben Diaz, if you just want to add names to it, he was not present in this game as well. So it is it, it is not a good look, first of all. It is a turbulent time for Chelsea. The fans are getting impatient. They're getting frustrated. The more uh, Chelsea are under Grand Potter and... The, the the injuries have been uh, they've been bizarre. I mean, if you look at it, you know, there is a completely different starting eleven that you can put up uh, if you're a Chelsea. Um, Edouard Mendy in goal, um, Reece James as a right back. You just don't have a centre back in place because Wesley Fofana will have to partner no one, and then you've got uh, Chilwell at left back. You've got your midfield of Jorginho, Kante, and uh, Loftus Cheek. You've got your front three here with Sterling, Pulisic. And, uh, and and Armando Broja. So you've got a front three, you've got a midfield three, you just need one centre-back to make it a very good team, which is certainly better than the team that they're putting up on the field, which is the full-strength squad right now for Chelsea. I mean, that is a real concern now if you're a Chelsea football club. And again, you know, the injuries haven't helped, the transfer policy hasn't helped, the, you know, reshuffling of... Uh, of of everything you know with in in the summer as well with uh people like Marina Granovskaya who has been there for so so long Pedrocek going off you know Abramovich with all the Russia Ukraine thing just had to um uh, give up his uh, his love for Chelsea and not not give up his love for Chelsea but give up his position at Chelsea football club so it's it's difficult if you look at Chelsea it's it's a turbulent time i hope they go through this positively i don't think they will be having champions league football in at least next season, you know, I, I do not think they will have Champions League football uh, the season after that as well. They're probably giving up on Champions League football this season. Um, they wanted Enzo Fernandez. He has been uh, fined or punished by Benfica for uh, lack of better term. Um, he didn't play the game against Porto Moniz uh, at the weekend. They do have... Uh, the league cup against Santa Clara, I guess, in the week, uh, in, in the midweek, and then they have to play the big game, the derby against Sporting Lisbon, which is going to be a massive game. So he will play that game uh, at, 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 the, at the next weekend. So Enzo Fernandez, for now, the deal is off, and uh, I don't, I don't believe Benfica will have any negotiations with any club, not just Chelsea, but any club after after today for Enzo Fernandez. So he's done. He's staying at Benfica, which I think is the right thing. He'll get more clubs when it comes to the summer transfer window. And people say that 
they want the, uh, it's 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 because of money and stuff like that. I don't think Benfica want money. They have got lots of money. They will generate money through Gonzalo Ramos, who is going to leave for sure in the summer. I don't know about Antonio Silva, but there will be suitors take uh, looking at Antonio Silva, looking at Matt. He's a very nice talent, and we need to get our hands on him because. He's going to be the future of Portuguese national team going into the future. And him, Gonzalo Ramos, I think there will be suitors up for Florentino Luis, who's been amazing for Benfica this season. So there will be lots of clubs, lots of clubs gearing up for the signatures of these few players. And we'll have to see how things pan out for them. Uh, but yeah, moving on from uh, Benfica. Chelsea, they are a massive club in massive turmoil right now. They have agreed terms with Jean-Felix for a potential transfer of a loan, a loan transfer until the end of the season. I think it's a win-win for both Jean-Felix and for Chelsea because Chelsea will get a player who is fit for, for God's sake and um, they will get a player who has to prove himself in all honesty and what better stage than Chelsea. I mean, he, if he can get them around a Europa League spot, which is a massive bet from now because I don't think they will get in the European places. But if they get to Europa League and João Felix has a very good season, he will have suitors coming in um, at the end of the season. I don't think he will be playing for Chelsea at the start of next season. So we'll see what happens. I, I think it's a very good move. I think he had to play the game against Barcelona and then see what can happen for him. But I think it will be a massive move for Jean Felix to come into the Premier League. will have all the attention that he needs and... Uh, the stage is there for him to set uh, set on fire. And I think it's it's a massive move for him. He'll have Champions League football, at least for this season, because Chelsea have got to face Borussia Dortmund uh, next month. And we'll see how that pans out for him. Uh, but yeah, the Premier League is a massive step up for him because I think that he was going nowhere with Atletico Madrid. Lots down to him and Simeone and their personal relationship. Um, but that's uh, out of the... Do uh, uh, completely out of the... Um, conversation now once he's moved on to the Premier League I think he'll he'll settle in nicely he needs to have a set number of games to have him a good run I think he's a very good player so he's, he's a natural talent just I think there needs to be someone who can get the best out of him on a consistent level uh, I think that happened with Portugal in the World Cup and I think that will happen once he is uh, playing for uh, Chelsea uh, in, in the six months. I think it's a very nice advert for him to go into the in, into the Premier League and see what can happen for him. I think there will be clubs like Man City, like Bayern Munich if they want him, like Paris Saint-Germain or someone from uh, Italy if they have good investments uh, in a club like Juventus or something. So there will be potential buyers. Maybe even in Spain back home where he, probably Barcelona may, might try to get him, probably Real Madrid if uh, something comes around. So... It's, it's a very good thing for now. I, I just think, you know, right now Chelsea are in a very bad space. If you look at the game against Man City, I, I think um, they gave up that free kick and Mahrez scored that brilliantly. I mean, and when someone like him is on fire, it's just a joy to watch. I mean, his left foot is like a wand and as a nice gesture in the end uh, when he gave the penalty to Julian Alvarez. But, you know, I think they're, they're going to be very, very good in, uh, in the games to come now because... The main players were rested. They know how to handle these things. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the season goes on for Man City because they're in a title race with uh, Arsenal. <laughs> like it or not, it, it's still on. And uh, Well, I'm, I'm happy for Arsenal in a way because uh, they've done well. They beat Oxford last night, so good for them. Um, 
but yeah, you know, in all honesty, Man City are very good. But Chelsea, by the way, they, they've, they've been bad. I think Porter's out of his depth. He does not know what he needs to do. I mean, we heard a noise of, uh, we had a shot, we had a shot, we had a shot, something like that, when uh, uh, I think it was Conor Gallagher who had a hit in the, in the in the second half. I mean, it was really terrible. It was bad. It, and, it, and it can go bad. And it can go very, very much south in the coming weeks. They have got a game against Fulham, Chelsea. So we'll have to see how that moves up for them because uh, it's not going to be easy. Fulham are a team, it's a derby first of all, and you know, Fulham are a team which will make life difficult for them. You know, they've got players who can, uh, who can, who can be menacing at times, but you know, it's, it, it, these are the games which you have to win, you know, away at Craven Cottage, you know, the, these sort of games, you know, it, it gives you a certain amount of you know, excitement when these games are around. But because, you know, Fulham are a good team. You look at some of the players, they're, they're playing really well. Um, they've got, you know, someone like a John Palini who's been outstanding this season for Fulham and he's, he's just, just made to play in the Premier League, someone like that. Yes, you know, um, amazing... Uh, uh, amazing uh, game that would be in the Premier League. It's going to be around what Tuesday or Thursday, and will be a really nice watch. Uh, Fulham against uh, Chelsea, but now for now, I think it's 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 very difficult to actually put your finger on what, as to where the problem is. I think the problems everywhere. I think the only player who's doing well for Chelsea right now is uh, Thiago Silva. To a certain extent, even Kovacic is doing well, and Zakaria. But apart from it, it just seems a shambles, a real shambles. And I think they need to fix it up as soon as possible. So now we move on from Chelsea. We have to talk about some of the games in Serie A. And we'll also take a look at what happened between uh, with, with some of the national teams, majorly with France and Portugal. But yeah, first of all, uh, we need to talk about the Milan against Roma in the San Siro. It was a very interesting game. I thought it was a very good game and I had to make a choice to what to watch. It wasn't going to be uh, the Serie A or La Liga because uh, Atleti Barca was at the same time as Milan against, Ro- uh, Milan against Roma. When I watched Atleti against Barca, I had uh, Milan against Roma in my earphones. I was uh, hearing to the radio commentary of that. And I thought, you know, I watched that game again and I thought, you know, Roma were ass. They, they really were. I mean, Jose was not on the sidelines. So they don't have that edge. Uh, and he, uh, I mean, he's missed... Both his trips to the San Siro. That's that's crazy, isn't it? You know, he was uh, in in the in the car uh, for that game against Inter. Uh, that remarkable, you know, uh, uh, video footage of him celebrating after the final whistle. And now with uh, this Rome, with, with this Milan game, he was not available for this one as well. So, you know, crazy stuff. You know, it was uh, uh, Salvatore Fotti who was. Uh, who was in, in who was in charge and he he didn't have a good game as a manager there, uh, but uh, in all honesty it was a very bizarre lineup in uh, with, with Roma where they had Pellegrini, Dybala, Zaniolo, Abraham all starting at the same time, but they had a very defensive approach and I I, I don't know how to put this but that was not was what was required. Um, if you look at the, um, if you look at Milan, they played a proper four-two-three-one, which we come to expect of them. You know, Kalulu, Tomori, Teo, and Calab- Calabria started. Well, that was uh, that. That was something that I didn't thought would happen. Benasser and Tonali in that midfield. Diaz playing as a number ten behind Olivier Giroud. Uh, Leao and Salamakers uh, making up that front four. Uh, 
it was a good game from Milan. They played really well with that first goal, which came off uh, of uh, Pierre Kalulu. And they started the game pretty well, you know, with that corner as well. It was just a vindication of how well they've played. Um, and then I think they had one chance, uh, if I'm right. Uh, not, not a chance, but it was a moment where Zalewski was running onto that left wing. He cut inside and had a wondrous shot which was very close to the post, and he could have gone in, but that would have been an amazing goal, but it didn't happen, and uh, it was um, 1-0 going into halftime in favour of Milan. Then they come up in the second half, they are again very timid, again very shy to go out and play, with players like Dybala and all those other guys. It, it's, it's just a, a bit contradictory to what the team wants, and what the team wants to play, and what the team is out to play, and... It, it it is very difficult to really point fingers out at uh, at it, but because then uh, Rafael Leao goes on a run, pick, passes the ball brilliantly to Pobega, who scores first time with his uh, with his left foot past Rui Patricio. It was all Roma after that, you know. They tried to get in some things, and then there is a corner. Then there's a ball from Pellegrini, and uh, there's a go brilliant header that from uh, uh, Rodri Banez, who scores and makes it. Uh, 2-1 and then you know if, if you're a Roma if, if you're uh, someone like a Milan you've got good experienced professionals like you who in your team obviously was sub, subbed off after that uh, at, at that time uh, you've got Tomori you've got Kalulu you've got good players around there Benacer is there who's just extended by the way for, with Milan you you hope you expect them to actually hold on for that lead but they didn't and uh, Eventually, I I thought again that free kick with uh, because of which uh, Roma scored that equaliser that was a bit dodgy, but yeah you know Matic uh, had first contact with the ball so, uh, Tatarusanu had to make a save but it fell down to uh, Tammy Abraham who popped up at the right time and uh, scored the equaliser it was two two in the end uh, it stayed two two and uh, Roma are certainly in uh, in contention for the Champions League football. I mean, it was a bizarre game. It was a good game, with all honesty. Uh, a game which I've really enjoyed watching. Uh, in the end, not not for the star, because it was all one way traffic with uh, with Milan. Uh, but yes, it was a good game uh, for for the neutral. And I think you know it's it's good news for Napoli because they they won against uh, Sampdoria away uh, at Sampdoria. It was an, it, it was an emotional night, and I think everyone. If you're not, not a Napoli fan, everyone wanted Sampdoria to win because of Gianluca Vialli and uh, his sad passing away. Uh, he lost the battle with cancer and uh, may God rest, uh, rest his soul peacefully. And uh, that's all we can say about him. He's an amazing person. What we've, uh, we've been seeing from players, ex-players from Juventus, his teammates, uh, ex-players from, uh, uh, from, from Sampdoria, from, from the Italian national team with Mancini and all those guys. You know, he's the only, he, he's, he was a part of that team which, uh, which won the Scudetta for Sampdoria, the only Scudetta that Sampdoria ever won. So it was an emotional moment for them. You know, it was, uh, they, they, it was an emotional moment for him, his family, even for, uh, even last, uh, even, even the last match day with uh, Sinisa Mihailovic who lost his battle with Cancelor as well. So, sad moment for those two guys. I mean, there were uh, lots of things, you know, which uh, come to mind when you talk about Gianluca Vialli and all the all, all his uh, uh, attributes as a manager as well, when he helped Mancini uh, in those uh, European conquest days of uh, Italy, uh, not just not too long ago. So, it's good for him. I think uh, 
it's it, it's good for his family. It's good for his legacy. He was an amazing man. Uh, if you talk about him and his Chelsea triumphs, so um, yeah, it's it's sad. It's sad that he's passed away. And he's no more with us. But yeah, the football action continued. Uh, apart from uh, this game, we also had. Some um, very, very interesting games. Uh, last night we had Atalanta against Bologna, where Bologna started the game really well with Ricardo Orsolini scoring the first goal. He had another chance to score, but he couldn't hit the target. Uh, in the second half, it was an early goal for Atalanta, which just, you know, presented the match in a very good way. In a town Cup Miners with an amazing goal. It was a super shot from him. And again, he's one player that um, I was reportedly linked to uh, to a move to Liverpool. Liverpool have not yet contacted Atalanta, but I think he could again be a very good choice for Liverpool if they want to pick him up. Tom Cup Miners. I'm, I'm a big admirer of uh, him, and if you've been watching this or you've been listening to the podcast uh, from a long time, you would know that I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tom Cup Miners. Then again, Rasmus Hoyland scored uh, the winner for them. You know, Jeremy Boga putting it uh, very well, and it's a good finish, by the way, from Rasmus Hoyland. Um, Atalanta could have had one or two more, but they didn't. They didn't. And they got the job done. Uh, it was two one uh, at the end of the night. With um, uh, Bologna again, you know they have had um, really good games so far. I mean, they were not good against. They were very good against Roma away at the Stadio Olimpico, where they lost to a Lorenzo Pellegrini penalty uh, last uh, the last match day. So you know. It's 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 been good for them, but they haven't get, getting the haven't been getting the results uh, which they hoped for. Uh, by the way, uh, another as I said about Sampdoria against Napoli, uh, Napoli scoring two goals before uh, before before Victor Simen scored. They had a penalty miss from Matteo Politano, but then you know when they were one 0 up, Thomas Rincon got sent off, and then Elif Elmas converted a penalty uh, late in the game with ten minutes to go. Um, a 2-0 comfortable victory by the way Monza against uh, Inter Milan was a very very interesting game um, Monza beating uh, or snatching two points away from Inter at home uh, it was uh, a very good start for Inter when uh, Bastoni's cross was met by Matteo Darmian on the far post he made it 1-0 and then Patrick Curia who was uh, uh, was playing for Bolo, who was playing for Monza he scored. It was a very, very good goal. It was r- literally, what, one minute after the uh, Darmian goal. And then uh, Pablo Mari had a very horrible moment where uh, Lautaro Martinez picked up his pockets and scored, made it to one and after that. It was all Inter Milan. Fede Di Marco had a chance as well. But then at the very death, uh, an own goal from... Uh, uh, from from uh, Denzel Dumfries. Uh, couldn't help himself in the end. Um, he, I mean, Andrea Colpani again, obviously, uh, had a very good game and he came on, but tried to accelerate the pace of the game and it, it all happened. And Well, it's a good result for Monza. It's not a good result for Inter and we'll see what happens. Uh, by the way, Juventus uh, were at home against Udinese. They were very bad again. And somehow, and somehow, I don't know how, but somehow they're se- second in the table. They're seven points uh, behind Napoli, yes, but the second in the table, they have conceded seven goals to all season. That's crazy. That's that's really crazy if you're a Juventus on the season that they've had. You know, um, well they've uh, they they beat Udinese by a goal to nil, a goal from uh, Danilo. I don't know how he scored that, but it was a very good take by Federico Chiesa. 
who passed it around. It's a very good goal, by the way, from Juventus. And it was 1-0 at the end of uh, 90 minutes. Uh, Milan uh, and Rome, uh, I mean, Napoli, Juventus, Milan and Inter are the top four right now. Uh, Lazio, Atalanta and Roma all snatched up on uh, 31 points each. They are three points off the top four. So it's already heating up in uh, in uh, the race for the top four, uh, the race for Champions League. I think Roma needed very badly. I mean, they have got a chance to get into the top four by going through the Europa League and winning the Europa League. But I think they will consider their best bet to get into the top four by winning, about getting into the getting into the Champions League but getting into the top four so I think that's it for Serie A and um, yeah we move on to some of the international updates and uh, and we have to start with France uh, their president uh, not their president but uh, Emmanuel Macron but uh, Noël Legrand who's uh, the president of the French Federation the Football Federation of France and uh, he had some very strong words for Zinedine Zidane and well he's not helped his case he's he's been under the microscope in, in in the French media for a long time now with the racist comments, you know, not racist comments, but the comments towards racism, saying so there was no racism in football. I mean, that's bizarre. Then he said, then then he was uh, under investigation, and he's still under investigation uh, with regards to not good behaviour towards women or women footballers in France. So he's he's not helping himself. And then these Zinedine Zidane comments. Well, you can't you can't say these things. Not 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 to any player. Not with Zidane, especially. You know, I, I really I really feel sad about this whole situation because he was being asked at RMC Sport, which is the French radio station. Um, he he was asked about what's the situation with Zinedine Zidane, and he said he he does not give a monkey's ass about what Zinedine Zidane does at uh, in, in in his career. He's not talked about him. He's not. He's not talked with him regarding this position. We have Deschamps here. He, I, I, he doesn't give some rat's ass about if he goes to uh, Brazil and manages there and he does whatever he likes. But, you know, you, you can't say these things. You know, play it smart. You know, we haven't talked, I mean, say things like, we haven't talked about it. I thought uh, what he does would be his decisions. So we wish him all the best, you know. I believe he'll he'll always be our legend. He'll always be a guy we'll always trust to get to the French national team whenever Deschamps seems fit to leave it. But yeah, you know this is crazy. I mean, how can you say these sort of words like you know I don't give a monkey's ass about you know what what he what he does. It's, it really is sad. I mean, Zidane hasn't responded to it. Zidane hasn't spoken about it. And that's what Zidane is. He's he's not that sort of a rebellious kind of a guy. He's very he's very soft and uh, he's not soft in terms of his personality, but he's in soft in terms of how he presents himself. So we'll see what happens with Zidane. Um, he was reportedly even um, asked for whether he will be interested in doing uh, getting on with the uh, U.S. men's national team or even with Brazil, and he said no. Reportedly, he was even asked for the Portugal job, and he said no. Um, I think I, I can understand the U.S. men's national team because of uh, he he cannot speak English. He 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 does not know how to speak in English. So um, yes, uh, that's one. And then uh, you've got the, these two situations with uh, with Portugal and Brazil. I think Brazil suits him completely because he's got that authority. He's he's going to be demanding respect. 
and and players will listen to him. Uh, he, he's got players like Casemiro. He's not good. Got players like Vinny Junior and Rodri, who, whom he loves very dearly. Even Militao, for, to some extent, who he has worked with. So, I think um, yes, he's got. He, he can he can try that. I, I'm not particularly sure that that's a. Uh, that's going to be a popular choice between Brazilians themselves, but I think he could try that. He, I think Brazil could try having Zidane at the helm. Portugal, I think it's the same thing. It's not particularly, not many have uh, played under Zidane, only maybe Pep, but I think he's going to be retiring soon from the national team. I, I think he will get the news. And um, also Cristiano, who he has had more success uh, under Zidane, but that was around, what, five years ago. So. Uh, yes, there can be. Put, Portugal could have been a big choice, but he's he said no to both of them. Maybe he'll get back into club management. I mean, Real Madrid is always going to be his home. He he, he he can't come whenever he wants. You know, if uh, Carlos says that he's done with it, you know, he wants to move on to Brazil. You know, Zidane. They, I think the first phone call will be to Zinedine Zidane from uh, from from Florentino Perez and. Uh, Zidane would happily say yes to come back to Real Madrid and manage there. So, you know, I think he will go back to club management in 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 the end. But yeah, it's sad with whatever the comments were from the disgraceful comments, by the way, not comments, disgraceful comments uh, by um, by Noel Legrand. Um, but yeah, though him and his friend Didier Deschamps, they uh, met uh, not many days ago, and they uh, decided that Deschamps will continue until 2026 as the manager of the French national team. So that makes it 12 years at the helm uh, with uh, the France job. And he's been amazing, let's be honest, uh, for France. Uh, he's had good reputation with uh, clubs like Monaco, Juventus. Um, so I think, it, I, I think it makes sense. But I thought you need to know when your time's up. And I think he thinks that he still has a lot to offer for this French national team. I think it suits him with the... With the with the amount of quality that they've got, I don't, I don't really think that's the best choice, but I think it's a good choice. It's not the worst that could happen, which we, we, we're going to talk about in a bit. But yes, I think, you know, you, you, you take it. I mean, if you give Didier Deschamps four years, I think there's not going to be much fuss about it. I think the more suitable option for this uh, French national team right now feels like... Uh, 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 like Zinedine Zidane, uh, by the way, uh, apart from Didier Deschamps. And uh, again, lots happening with the French national team, by the way. Uh, uh, Hugo Lloris has announced his retirement from international football. And uh, he's done with the national team. An amazing career with the French national team. A Nations League, uh, a World Cup, uh, two World Cup finals, by the way. So it's brilliant. 145 caps for his national team. He's played for 14 years as the French goalkeeper. So it's an amazing record. Uh, he's been to what four finals with the French national team, one in the Nations League, one in the Euros, and uh, uh, two in the World Cup. So it's been amazing. It's an amazing journey. It's an amazing career. He's he's got to be proud of what he's done. So next captain in line for France most probably are going to be between these five four four players. One's Kylian Mbappe, second's Rafa Varane, uh, third's Antoine Griezmann, and the fourth's Paul Pogba. I think the most you know popular choice between. Uh, uh, between between the between the fans would be Kylian Mbappe, but I think if you look at the hierarchy, they, it w it should be Rafael Varane because he's the wise captain right now. Uh, again, Hugo Lloris's retirement means that Mike Manuel would be the first choice goalkeeper for France from now on, 
And if he's injured, I believe it has to be Ian Melia and not Alfonso Ariola, please. Uh, so, yes, uh, that's it from France. And we move on to, as I said, uh, what could be worse than putting in Didier Deschamps as a manager. That's not the worst choice. But what Portugal have tried to make it worse by sacking Fernando Santos, which I am in, uh, am in agreement with, but not him uh, being replaced with Roberto Martinez. Let's be honest about it. Because with Fernando Santos, it was really, you know, it was a love-hate relationship because he was, like it or not, he's the greatest ever Portuguese manager to manage the Portugal national team. I mean, you would disagree to his uh, uh, methods, would agree to him, uh, you'd love him or hate him, but you can't disagree to that fact. Roberto Martinez is a failure with Belgium. How come Portugal have appointed him? I have no idea. Because, you know, in a way, Portugal is having some very good coaches coming out. And you look at Sergio Conceição, you look at Ruben Amorim. I think Ruben Amorim is more suited to a club job. I think Sergio Conceição would have been an amazing appointment to this national side. I, I, I really believe so. But they want to get with this guy. I don't know how. Jose Mourinho said that he does not want to come to Portugal. They had a no uh, from uh, Zinedine Zidane as well. You know, you could have talked to Chiche if he wanted to come here and coach this man national team because the language is the same. You've talked to Brazil, you take a look at Portugal. He knows how to handle big egos. You had big egos in the Brazilian national team as well. So maybe Chiche could have been an option. But you know what? This guy is good on interviews like Roberto Martinez and he got the job. I, I don't know how this makes sense. You know, they've given the option for him to... They've given him a contract until 2026. That makes that makes no sense whatsoever. And, you know, they've, they've, I would rather beg Fernando Santos to come back and manage Portugal rather than watch this man. I mean, come on. He had a good time with Everton. He got them fifth. He won the, he won the FA Cup, if I'm right, with Vegan Athletic. But, but Belgium, he's been an utter disappointment. Obviously... The golden generation of Belgium is not at the level of what Portugal have right now. So you can expect big things. You, I, I'm not going to put all my toys out of the pram, but I just think, you know, it would have been better off with Fernando Sanch uh, in, in comparison to what they have right now with this guy at the helm, Roberto Martinez. I do not think this makes any sense whatsoever. So we'll see what happens. I, th I think you, you have to be hopeful. I'm, I'm not going to stop being hopeful. He said that he's going to talk with Ronaldo. I do not. I, I think you know if you want to get uh, lots of uh, fans to your side, you have to be good with Ronaldo as well. But again, he has to make a decision about him. Uh, he has to make a decision about Pep, about players who are getting old, like João Moutinho as well. What is his future with the national team? It's it's going to be difficult. It's going to be. Um, I don't I don't know how this makes sense, but it's 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 very it's very bad. So that's it from me today. This was my podcast uh, for this week and we'll meet next week again. Uh, we have the Spanish Super Cup. We have got uh, the Manchester Derby. We have got the um, North London Derby and we've also got Napoli against Juventus at the top of the table clash for some reason uh, in, in Serie A. We still, don't, we still won't be having uh, the Bundesliga. So that's that. Uh, uh, I don't know what's uh, up for grabs in the league on. But yeah, obviously, we have got Benfica against Sporting Lisbon. And if that goes up uh, very well, we'll also talk about that. But 
um, yes, for now it is um, it is goodbye from me, and we'll meet uh, next Tuesday at the same uh, at the same place, same time. And be sure to check into my Twitter account. It is weeklypod underscore ott w e e k l y underscore ott uh, w e e k l y p o d underscore ott. I'm sorry. Uh, and on Instagram, it is w e e k l y p o d uh, dot ott. Uh, so. Uh, you can uh, check both of those links out and uh, follow me there. Be sure to rate me on Insta, on Spotify, and on Apple Pod or wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, it would mean a wor- it would mean the world to me. And uh, yes, we'll meet you on uh, on on next Tuesday. Until then, it is uh, goodbye from me. Cheerio.